Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit for plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Fire Escape. On this week's show, we have longtime friend and filmmaker Marcus Tortorisi. Uh, he walks us a little bit through his creative process and how he approaches things. And we also get into his theory of the red Gatorade. Um, it's pretty interesting. Uh, find out if you agree with it or not. Uh, as, as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever, uh, for us or any of our guests, you can email us at fireescapepod at gmail.com. Uh, and we'll keep you updated on things that are coming up in the next few weeks and months ahead. Uh, thank you for listening so much. Enjoy episode 25 with Marcus Tortorisi. Thanks. Just made me think of that, not quite sure why. The mm. Cooper. The Cooper. Cooper. The Cooper. 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 Well, we uh, much appreciate Marcus, Marcusy, as he's known, mm, uh, for being with us today. Light, light appreciation for Marcusy yeah. being with us today. I'm lightly excited to be yeah. here as well. Marcusy Tortucci, Marcusy Tanaki. The Tortellini. Tortellini himself. All real names. Glad to be here, guys. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, well. uh, actually, um, Marcus, how actually do we pronounce your last name? Honestly, I'm completely unsure. I think um, <laughs> my entire life I've been saying it incorrectly. I, I literally do a 50-50 thing now where I meet people. So half the time I say Tortorici, the other half it's Tortorici. So I insist on not knowing the, the true answer. Yeah, you see, I, I can empathize with this because this is what I endure every day with my first name. Almost since the day I was born. What is your first name? Well, you see, here we go. I'm going to give you, th- I'm gonna give you, th- I'm gonna give you three answers. Okay. Because it's a Welsh name, and in Wales it would be pronounced in North Wales. I'm pretty certain, in fact, people would say "Huo" like mm. that. Mm. And then I, I won't I, say that. Yeah, don't say that because I find it ugly. But um, uh, and then in West Wales, people say they tend to say "Howell" like that mm. quite a lot. And then in South Wales, closer to the border with England, people tend to be like either "Howell" or or a bit more like "Howell." Mm, it's which is like closer to the anglicized pronunciation of it so i've always had all of them and my family are all in south wales mostly and so they all just always called me howell or howell mm. but i have like i'm working with someone at the moment who's from west wales and she like insists on calling me Huel, and i'm a bit like look i know people in north wales call me that but you've got to stop that because i don't like the sound of it you have to call me howell and she was like no but that's your name and this is why i encounter all the time especially in wales is people telling me how my name is pronounced when i say that mm-hmm. otherwise no your name is Huel. yeah yeah and i'm like that's cool man i know that's how you would like to say it but i'm just saying to you i would like that's not how i say it and it's my name you know so mm, kind of do get to, ty, ty goes to the, to the named yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and then i'm and in America, of course, people just don't believe that's what I'm called. Yeah. yeah. For years, high, high for years well. I've, been, I've been calling yeah. you, phew. Like, yeah. like, 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 <laughs> like, what a relief. Like, wiping the blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
I'm glad a to lot hear of the time I have had several times people just go no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like they go, I'm like they're like what's your name and I go how are they no. Mm. no. Up next we got a we got a young fella from uh, he's from from overseas his name's John Highwell. Yeah. <laughs> my first name is just... definitely John John Highwell. Yeah. yeah they, or they, when I tell them my last name they're just like oh John. And so if I yeah, correct them, they're like, no, no, yeah, we're good with that. Thanks. My doctor's assistant, for example, just refuses to call me by my first name. Oh, yeah. He just thinks it's my last name. He won't. I've told him 50 times and he just like shakes his head and he calls me Mr. Highwell. And that's, yep. uh, yeah. Well, Mr. Highwell. Well, yeah. Mr. Highwell. Have a, how, I know Coulter, I think you've heard it. I don't know, Marcus, if you've heard it, but how, I think you definitely haven't heard it. Uh, the, the story from high school where where I, I met this fella, Matt Casey. If you're out there, Matt, big ups. Big up. uh, I knew I knew this guy for for years, uh, and he's just kind of this, you know, kind of a I don't know what you want to call it, kind of like a you a know stoner. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, that's the <laughs> word. And uh, and I, I, he was like a grade above me, and I'd known of him for years. You know, we crossed paths. We had a lot of the same friends, and uh, we we had a homeroom together his senior year, my junior year, and. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'd like reach over and I'm like, Hey man, what's up, Matt? I know you, you know, my name's Pete. And he's like, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah, P- Peter Korn. That's, you know, we, we know each other. And he was like, what? Wait, what? And it was like, was really, really concerned, like very, very excited or worried <laughs> about it. I couldn't tell which. And I'm like, uh, what's, why are we so excited about this? And he was like, dude, I thought I made you up. I was like, wait a minute. I'm sorry. That's a concept. What what does that mean? What? what? And he goes, I've been using your name as an alias for years. <laughs> I thought I made that name up. I buy and sell weed as Peter Corn all the time. Which cleared wow. up a big cleared up a mystery for me because as as y'all know, I never smoked or certainly never sold weed, didn't even smoke it. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of run-ins where people were like very adamantly uh, wanting me to sell them weed because they were they were sure that I sold the best weed. I'm like, man, you've known me for years. You know I don't sell weed or smoke weed. And they were like, no, man, I know. Like, just give me some weed. And they were very and it, it clear. No, man, up. someone someone told me it's Peter Corn. Peter Corn has the good stuff. Yeah, it turns out it was Matt Casey the whole time. Is that wow. like your is that like Mark- your friend uh, Ben Killen that you also made up? No, dude, Ben Killen is real. No, yes, it's a stupid name. Ben no, Killen is ben the greatest Killen name is real. in my life. Big ups to Big Ben Killen if you're yeah. listening. Ben Killen. Yeah. Peter, your friend Matt Casey, he sounds a bit like the wizard that you live with as well. Well, uh, well, no, no, no. <laughs> was the wizard was the wizard weirder than Matt Casey? If Matt Casey is inventing you and then using your name, yeah, he's just. He, I mean, yeah, but Matt Casey, that was just a that was an honest stoner mistake, you know. Like he mm-hmm. clearly heard it in passing. And then one day, and, and was I, positive that he just came up with yeah, that name. Yeah, in an advanced state of oh humiliation. right. So he'd like you. He'd heard your name in passing. People were just kind of like, "Hey, Pete Corn, Pete Corn," kind of on the fringes of yeah, conversation. And he friends. was, and he was like, "I love the sound of that name. That's mm. gonna be my. That's gonna be my drug selling." Name. Well, what I think happened was one night he was, you know, at a particularly advanced stage of of being stoned, and was just like, "I got to come up with another name, man. Like mm. this isn't gonna work. I can't. I got it." <laughs> Peter Corn. That's insane. Nobody's That's fake name. name. Yeah. <laughs> fake news name. Real at all. Also, fake, you. fake news. Fake name. Phew, you got to be careful uh, yeah. talking about the wizard like that. He hears all things. You know? Yeah. So he's, yeah, he's, probably he's, true. You just watch your back, man. Phew. Yeah. Uh, Marcus, like, do you want to be to... educated real quick on um, your name? 
I would it's love to be educated on my name. Tortorisi. Is that it? Yeah. Who told you that? The internet. Tortorisi. Mm-hmm. You you well, reading that pronunciation, Coulter, or someone speaking it to I'm you? I'm reading it. Okay, well. I'll, I'll well, listen I, to I've it been too. reading it my whole life. Col- Coulter, can you tell us the name of the wizard? Um, the definite name of the wizard with a, in that sort of voice and accent. Oh, oh no. No, no, there's emphasis on that. Tor- Tortorici. They, see, they don't even, the Italians don't even know. What, the name of the wizard? No, no uh, Tortorici. We're, we're, we're working oh. on Marcus's name right now. Oh, right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry, One of the, sorry I'm also sorry. a wizard. I, don't, I actually so don't know the name. I don't know if I know his name. His really? full name. Well, I will say that it, at, at, you know. But he's listening in, so we I need don't to wanna, I don't want to besmirch his good name. He was okay. a very kind fellow. Very strange. Hmm. He's an odd but, cat. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about that. Trevor Della Rosa, that's his name. Oh, Trevor nice Della Rosa. Yeah, very sweet that's a, guy. That's, but that's, that's, that's a great name. That's a pretty good strong yeah. wizarding name. It's he not was, quite uh, strong as not quite strong as Merlin. No, no. not yeah. quite. He was invisible, right? Yes. Okay. Well, he <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's firm. So it's he funny could, we he could be here at this table with us. For yeah. a fact. It's funny. Tre- the, it's funny we're talking about Trevor the Wizard because I, uh, I in fact, was talking. I was talking about Merlin this morning with a friend of mine who was just texting me. And um, and there's uh, what, what, what was the context for yeah. talking about Merlin? <laughs> yeah, well, well, there's a there besides a, just being Welsh. Yeah, my friend has a friend who works in a sort of healing tradition, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and this is this is a this is by when I say a true thing, I don't mean that what they do operates on the basis of truth in the scientific sense, but that when I say it's a true thing, as in there are people who exist who believe this thing is what I mean. And that there mm-hmm. is, uh, there is like a tradition of like the healing arts. And I don't know how old it is. I think they would say it's anciently old, but I think it might be quite recent also in terms of people practicing it, mm-hmm. but where they believe that they are in it's touch both recent the, and old. It's both recent and same. old. Well, maybe it's been concocted recently, but they believe that what they're tapping into is old, if you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but if the belief is that these, the he- the healing that they they create or produce with their healing hands on the laying of hands is not maybe a divine godly energy as some people might think in the Christian tradition, but it is in fact the spirit of Merlin himself. Ah, ah, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if um, I wonder if Trevor's into that. Probably. No, I mean probably. You know, he's he's into it. But like I say, you know, not it's... not not to be ugly. Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a very sweet guy, but strange cat. Definitely. I think we should do right. Wizards need uh, love too, Pete. Hmm? Wizards need love too. <laughs> absolutely, no doubt about wizard, that. Wizard lives matter. They yes, do. They we should get do. We, we should get Trevor on. I'd love to speak to Trevor. I did. He's he's got some things to say. That's for sure. <laughs> if you can find him. Yeah. Well, that's that's a trick. It's tough. He's yeah. Being invisible. Yeah. <laughs> it is a trick. It's one of those things. Um. So Marcus Tortorici, Tortici, Torterici. Tortorici. How goes it? Man. What brings, what, what brings you here today? Shoot. Me and uh, Coulter Bob over here and um, Peter Bob were shooting some billiards this weekend. And, uh, you know, I'd like to say we got to talking about it, but we didn't get to talking about it. Coulter actually sent me a text after the fact. I was like, hey, you should come be on the podcast. It's true. And I was like, you know, man, I consider it an honor and a privilege. Yeah. Well, big ups to the turkey's nest. The turkey's nest. To be, to be nest clear, tavern. to be clear, Marcus, Marcus was belly aching for a while that we <clears throat> yeah. didn't have him on the show. Yeah, Coulter's not actually recording right now, but this is fun for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, as an indulgent, yep. indulgement. 
so to so speak. we're so, just gonna post henry's second episode this week. <laughs> well, there, there's a very, Howell, there's a very <laughs> fundamental question that i like to to posit which was would you rather be invited on the podcast <laughs> be <laughs> recorded and then your segment be buried and not aired mm-hmm. or would mm-hmm. you rather have never been invited at all i would say that I, I I'd probably lean towards the former because then there's a, that's that sense. It's a bit like the Dylan basement tapes. You know, there's like this lost cut True. of this classic podcast that needs to be sorted out and fire escape artists all over the world in the future. Once our listenership, you know, swells from the, the, the profound numbers that we're already experiencing to even more extensive sort of True. cosmos spanning, right. uh, you know, lis- listenership that they will then become this sort of feverish speculation about this lost episode of, of you know anecdotal gold and um you know what i mean and i'd right, rather have right. i think i'd rather have that i'd rather be like the source of cultish mm. fascination than than not at all the question is for every buried for every buried classic mm. how mm. many buried piles of dog crap are there alongside that never get unearthed that's a good question for good reason you know, yeah there's there's, there's always there's always that question is it? it was like has this been forgotten for a good reason right and the question is, are those unreleased things truly great, or do people only care because the person was famous and you just get some extra? Exactly. You know, like the Nick yeah. Drake, like unreleased family tree stuff. You know, yes. it was like, was it was it as great as we all think it is? Or was he just made some music, killed himself, and then 40 years later, like, oh, we need some more Nick Drake. Well, look, here's some. You can listen to it if you want. Yeah, two, right. thing, two, two things there, being a big, passionate Nick Drake fan. One... A lot, of, a lot of people, including his family, are not convinced he killed himself. So we should like think. Look, oh, is that, that right? There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They think, I mean, oh, I was, was unaware. Ter- ter- yeah, me. yeah. No, no, no. Don't worry. I mean, obviously, it was like common, common, common yeah. knowledge. But I'm a big Nick Trey fan. But I think Same. like the second thing is like you listen to the Family Tree album. And um, for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with Nick Drake, seek him out immediately. Yeah, indeed. Th- three albums, um, the first three albums, the studio albums, particularly beautiful. But yeah. I became so in, in tw- I remember when I was a teenager, I became so entwined with his music. And like, and also his story is very tragic, but the music's so beautiful and quite ethereal and strange and fascinating that then I became, I remember I became, I felt quite invested in that sense of the life story. And so when I heard the, I think this is the thing, isn't it? That if you become really into it in that sense of just beyond the music having an investment in the character as well or yeah. feeling like you're interested in it then the quality of those cuts in a funny sort of way are almost beside the point because no, you're totally. a bit like yeah I'm, do you know what i mean you got to yeah, listen yeah. to going like going like yeah that's a sort of fairly rubbishy blues song recorded on a terrible four track in someone's kitchen in 1967 well, it's like, it's like looking know. at leonardo da vinci's like scrawlings you know it's like yeah you know his little notes and doodles and things it's like those things on their own aren't in some important work of art but because he has he achieved what he achieved we now care about everything he ever touched yeah i mean yeah it 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 fills in those gaps of the story of the person as opposed to just the artist i guess yeah we like i think i used to be really really into that sort of stuff wanting to know as much it's a bit like collecting cards you know as a kid or sort of wanting you having a hobby you want to sort of be on top of it but increasingly i sort of i don't know about you guys but i find myself wondering about it's, it, it's weird, isn't it? Because you feel like you want to know all those things. And I wonder why. And I wonder, is it because you love the person or that you're devoted to them and you feel like you need to know as much about them as possible in order to be as devoted? Or is there something else going on? It's a bit like, I feel like I need to so totally understand them that I can be the most expert of all. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. that, that feels to me like a bit of a zero-sum game because you're never going to know that person truly. You know, So it's a bit like when you read a weird biography of an artist. You kind of read it and go, huh, yeah. 
Well, I found out some extra stuff about where they went to school and maybe that line in that third song yeah. makes a bit more sense. But does that really add to the pleasure of it? I'm never convinced it really does. You know, I kind of increasingly now I'm always a bit like, I think I like a little bit more mystery. You know, I don't think See, I want I want to know as much. See, I think I'm on the opposite side. I'd say I think that's why I like things like interviews and kind of extra materials is because what that does is takes that person out of like obscurity and roots them as like into the real world is like, though this is a person who went to the grocery store and like just did whatever. And when you were like, when you can put that stuff with like, say a musical hero, like Nick Drake, then it like, it makes them or like as a musician, their work a little more like attainable or, you know, it gives you, it gives me some sort of like hope of like, Oh, that's just a person mm-hmm. who happened to be really good at this thing. Okay, like that yeah. makes them less intimidating as like as a hero. It doesn't de- yeah. demystify them in a, yeah, in, a negative, in, a de- in a negative way though. No, I, I think it 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 makes me be able to connect with them on a like a regular human. Yeah, level. but I guess I get, I know what you mean, and like, I too um, share that. But I think I just wonder about whether like the desire to know those things, like whether what people that feel they're attaining is not actually what they think they've attained. You know, yeah, because well, it's it's often when you read like it's like when you read a comment piece or an interview in a newspaper, there isn't just a Q and A where you see like the interviewer's question, then the mm-hmm. full quote from the artist. Yeah, it's always it's if the most interviews are framed from the perspective of the interviewer, sure, and they often do you know what I mean? And they often give that sort of do a sort of slightly card breakdown of the artist and his work and his like and mm-hmm. and their character and give you that sense that they understand who this person is, and then you sap that up as a reader. And increasingly, I kind of read these things feeling a bit like I'm just not sure about that, like. Because I often feel that this sense that what we're gaining is you feel like you have some extra knowledge about this person. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what what you're talking about reminds me of something that Peter had mentioned earlier when he's saying was, you know, if you discover something that's been buried or been hidden, is it actually good? Or is it sort of the fact that it was found with this air of mystery around it? So something something interesting, it goes a larger conversation as well about sort of tastemakers or uh, people that say something is good and you sort of believe it. So this is interesting. Thought leaders. Thought leaders. Thought leaders. So people oh, yeah, where you, yeah, right. where you just, where, because they say it, you instinctively go, oh, yes, it must be true. Right, like people at this yeah. table, we're, we're all thought leaders. That much, true. Is, that much is understood. Yeah. But, yeah. So I made, a, I made a music video over the summer and uh, I made one that was really good and I made <clears> one that was pretty good. Um, but because I didn't, I didn't have much of a huge following or anything like that, the pretty good one, I kind of put it out there and it kind of, you know, it does what things do. It sits out there and like, you know, your mom sees it and she likes it and your your dad and your uncle, just immediate family members. But it didn't get a lot of traction. But just this past week, um, the company that I just signed with as a director, actually, they liked the video. And as a result, huh. it started trending on Vimeo and started getting all these likes, all these views, and all these yeah. comments. And I was like, you know what? This video is not that good. But it's not any better than it was like six months ago when you better. put it out. And those, I guarantee you, okay, this is kind of going back on what I said, but I think a lot of those same people saw that video the first time. But because no one that they thought was cool had liked it or commented on it, yeah, they felt like they could not like it or comment on it. But the second someone who they consider influential liked it, they were like, oh, this actually, this is cool. Yeah, this must be really someone cool. Someone else's stamp of approval. Right. And that gives them the confidence to then push it. it to then push it yeah. and make a comment. So like one of the staffers commented like, oh, this is really nice. And all of a sudden it's like, oh. So for me, I'm like, don't don't like my video now. Don't yeah. comment on it. Well, like, yeah, I, I have a question as far as like the... um. As far as, you know, we're talking about, you know, folks like Nick Drake or Bob Dylan or, you know, Towns Van Zandt or some of these like people that, you know, made some stuff. Um, 
and then we, you know, we maybe we get some release stuff later. So, Marcus, as a as a director, does that work? And I just I don't know the answer to this. Like, does that work in the in the film world? Like, are there directors that that you want to like, or do you think like people in the film community um, are as interested in learning like more information about like? Paul Thomas Anderson or some like, you know, mm. great director yeah. to where uh, like they would want to see like a oh, yeah. Does it, it, or whatever. Is you know, the, does yeah. it translate is, that way? Yeah, exactly. As in, it definitely seems like a very musical yeah. obsession, those sort of details, yeah. doesn't it? Uh, I mean, absolutely. I spend so much of my time trying to find not just behind the scenes things, but you want to get a look into into the personal side of their life because so much of your of your work life is intertwined like with your personal life and you want to see how these people you look up to what their process is because it's yeah. so like we, we always talk about process and creative process and what are the things that we do and something that me and henry talk about a lot so me and him will share that like he found an interview with paul thomas anderson and he was like the first thing he does is he wakes up in the morning gets coffee and starts writing for like three hours and then he stops and he doesn't touch it for the rest of the day but he doesn't do you know any of his uh any other work apart from that but he does that really hard work first thing in the morning and so yeah i always want to hear about like yeah, their trips to the grocery store or when they go to sleep at night or what they do in their free time. Cause for me, those are the things that inform, you know, the creative process. Yeah. You, like you want to see, okay, I, I can be that. Like I can do those things. They're just normal. They yeah. don't like, you know, they're not doing some insane. They're not regimented. Magic. Yeah. Like, they're not just magic. Yeah. And it's good to hear them talk about the pain and the struggle and like the childbirth of the creative process that it mm -hmm. so often is for, for filmmakers. So I, I, I love hearing it. It's encouraging to me to hear yeah. that they they have a very similar thoughts that I have when you're trying to create something, which is just it's it's painful, you know, mm -hmm. more than anything, it's painful. And there are moments of joy and so I, I look for that stuff all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I you know, obviously like we're <clears throat> you know, we're me, Hal and C Bob are musicians, hang out with a lot of musicians, but obviously a lot of our friends are filmmakers and yeah, you know, actors and playwrights and all of these like involved in these other art things and I'm, I'm, I'm always constantly trying to like figure out where these different like practices overlap where i can be like oh like as a musician i can i can plug in my experience as a musician into your experience as a director or actor or writer or whatever um but i really do think and i, I can do that you know my wife is a visual artist and so i can do that with her pretty easily um, and I think I can even do it with actors pretty easily, but I, I think it falls off the rails. Like the connections between musician, songwriter, and like director are really hard to make for me. Like I've tried mm -hmm. so many times to like simplify it down to like, oh yeah, we're doing the same stuff. Right. But well, it's a very yeah, they're very different forms. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean I've I've directed plays, and I mean I've directed one short film, so I've got nothing on the Tortorucci's uh, extensive experience, but I. Uh, but it's a completely different. I mean, on the most simplest one, surely is that you know, I think working as a songwriter or, or even working as a writer, or, there's a sense of solo endeavor. Do you know what I mean? Of like you having to discipline yourself around that process. But I think when you work, you know, so I've directed 
theatre quite large scale theatre quite a lot of times and like there is the it, there's a sense of creative leadership there but it's really about facilitation as much as having creative ideas now you ha- you're having to manage a large group of people right. which I think as a solo songwriter you know the process of the creating as a songwriter or as yeah. a playwright right. doesn't really I mean you have to hold some things in mind you know you might be writing a song thinking like shit I need a full orchestra for this you know but uh, mm-hmm. but you can still apply yourself to the song and certainly as a playwright you're sitting there going well I'm think I'm dreaming up this crazy set which will need a huge budget and you know, you know right. so you can you can you know toss and turn with those questions but the actual mm-hmm. process of the writing itself doesn't get in the way with that but yeah so I mean is, the, is, the is, craft, that, is that a fair, fair comment I think. yeah I think so I mean the craft is obviously very different so that that changes things a lot but at the same time I feel like how you approach any creative endeavors is very similar. Like there's always that 90% that no one sees and it's the 90% that's behind closed doors. And then the 10% is the finished product or is the performance or is the album or whatever it is. And that's, that's oftentimes the easy part for me. I'm, I'm always fascinated on the 90% that happens before that. Like what's the process? What does that look like? And sadly, I think it's, very easy to think uh, so much about that process and be looking for new innovative ways where like it typically the best way to do anything is just to sit down and do it and figure out how Mm -hmm. you work best, how you can find ways to get inspired, like different ways to trick yourself. No, man, you need to wake up at exactly 7.59, start work at exactly 8.07. You need to have a bowl of cereal with the spoon in the bowl pointing towards (sighs) true north. Mm Mm-hmm. True North is very important, I yeah, think. That's yeah. very important. Yep. And then that's the position from which it'll be easier. Colter, you want, you want to know my secret? What's your secret? I make my bed while I'm still in it in the morning. Yeah. That may sound impossible. <laughs> that, sounds like, that sounds like the sort of thing. Do you, you slide trevid- out the trevid- top of it? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes at that the sounds bottom. Like, that sounds like the sort of thing Trevor the Wizard would do. Listen, guys. The, does the same if thing. you yeah. want to know the key, and the, clearly I am the I am the authority on the key mm-hmm, to mm-hmm, create mm-hmm, success. Mm-hmm. If you want to know the key to it all, it's when you're in the bed when you're about to get out, make it while in it, and then slide out ever so gracefully, and then kind of roll onto the floor, and then put your pillows yeah. up. You will feel amazing going into the day. Yeah. Culture, I see your bed is not made. You probably feel yeah. like shit right now, I don't do. you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I tend it's to. Well, I think before I start writing, what I tend to do is make a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, small animal, um, maybe. Yeah, small animal. Whether you know, whether it's like I, I like to do it first thing in the morning. Right. Dawn, I was dawn, wondering dawn. what was happening to all the squirrels and uh, yeah. Green. Well, there's a, there's been a great depletion in the squirrel population, <laughs> but don't yeah. don't tell anybody. I like to wander around to Fort Green Park. You know, walk up to the monument. There's a great sort of. I mean, it feels like a sort of ancient pagan sacrificial place, and there's this huge statue. It's a memorial to the unknown soldier, and so in the honor of that lost spirit what i tend to do mm. is sacrifice a small animal and if i can't find an animal you know i'll do something else i'll like, I'll, I'll rip a flower apart right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Ma- maybe maybe mm. eat it it's good empty out a bag of chips yeah That's and right. then uh, then of course the next Christmas. vital step having having paid my paid my respect to uh, my ancestors in that respect i'll go and get a uh, a soy latte very important mm. yeah mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. as i as i wander back to check my emails and waste the day well yeah That's well good. you know the the true the true answer to all this which I'm, I'm kind of, frankly disgusted. No one has brought up yet. Oh, yeah. pants. Pants, dude. Put on a pants. Power pants, dude. That's <laughs> it. That's I don't know, it. man. If you're, not, if you're not waking up and putting on pants, then we're declaring about, your we're pants. We're talking about sweatpants. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I'm talking about jeans. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I've been in my sweatpants uh, for the past three days until 11 mm. o'clock at night, and then I transitioned back into the pajama pants to then go to sleep. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Why did you transition at all? 
because of my sweatpants and my work pants. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll see. That there we go. I guess as long as you have yeah. a designation, yeah. then right. Power of pants, man. For me, it's, Power it's about pants. socks. Really, you were a chump if you were barefoot trying to do some work. Doesn't work like that. Oh, see, I have to be barefoot. <clears throat> no, no socks. Pants. Like fully dressed, but definitely not socks and shoes. Mm. Dude, that's your problem with the. That, that's why you can't get anything done on the electric, man. Because you gotta have, you have to be wearing <coughs> shoes to play electric Wrong. guitar. Absolutely, mm. absolutely not. How do you work a pedal board barefoot? Stupidly. I got the. You know my feet, man. I got these. Stupidly. No, yeah. it's not. It's not a tough feet issue. It's like driving barefoot. It doesn't feel right. You need the no, whole. Driving barefoot feels even better than shoes. No, I had not play... a chance. Absolutely, I had to play drums barefoot. You ain't gonna. Ever yeah, playing play drums barefoot makes sense. Oh, so now that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it all makes sense. Guys, I got one thing to say: butt naked butt socks. That's well. That's yeah. You know what I'm talking that's about the advanced level. You know what I'm talking okay, about. Okay, this is that's super yeah. advanced. So talking of socks and getting dressed for work, this is a true story, right? Have you heard of the writer John Cheever? He was, uh, he's an American short story writer of some note. So, uh, 20, 20th century writer, right? So Cheever, oh, genuinely. Hold on, real, real quick before you get started on yeah. this. I am so happy that you just brought that up because... Butt-naked butt socks. Because butt-naked butt socks. No, in the new national record, or the, the latest national record, there's a line that uh, Matt says where he says, um, walking around like I'm the one who found the dead Don Don John Cheever. Is that his name, Cheever? Yeah, yeah, John Cheever. And I have yeah. no idea who that was, and I always thought it was some like mafia boss yeah. or something that was lost. And now <laughs> no, I like, know. The, yeah, yeah. Cheever is sometimes uh, called the Chekhov of the suburbs. Yeah, there you are, the Chekhov of the suburbs. So he's a short story writer, I'm pretty wow. certain. Maybe he did some novels as well, but uh, he's considered to be like one of the most important writers of the 20th century. But he his working method in terms of in terms of the socks, socks or barefoot getting dressed or not when you were writing. And that's a big thing. It's like, do I make a sacrifice on the Fort, in Fort Green Park in the morning? Do I even get dressed? Do I sit here completely naked? Because I can, yeah. you know. But like Cheever, <laughs> almost every morning for five years, like would put on his, his only suit. He had one suit and he would ride the elevator in his building. This is in, He lived in Manhattan with other men leaving for work. And but instead of getting out on the ground floor, on the first floor, and going leaving the building because he didn't need to, he would proceed all the way down to a storage room in the basement where he would doff his suit and write in his boxes until noon. Then he would dress. Then he would dress again and ascend <laughs> and ascend for lunch. Perfect. That's brilliant. Look at that. That's kind of yeah. brilliant, isn't it? That's I mean, that is yeah. that is a method. He was like, I'm going to get fully dressed. I'm going to get in the get in the elevator feel with all the other men doing their proper like regular shit mm-hmm. but in fact I'm going to sit in a dark room in the basement in my pants and <laughs> I sweat it out over my typewriter for four or five hours. It's not the Paul Thomas Anderson method but maybe yeah. slightly more extreme like more slightly more masochistic I think. Yeah. I'm telling you man it's all about getting dressed, you know. It's- Power of the pants. I'm sure Cheever would have Cheever would have agreed with you. I'm thinking. Man, I'm well, so then getting undressed that I know who that is now. I mean, I guess I always could have just Googled him, but I didn't want to do that. Yeah, and now it's like you just should have known, you know. Yep. Now everybody knows you didn't know. I mean, that's okay. I'm all right with them not knowing. I'm okay. just stoked that I now know. That's, that's, the, a, that's the takeaway. That's a, that's what Donald Rumsfeld used to say. It was like, didn't, didn't you say that was a that, that was a that is now a known, are, uh, that was an unknown known. Yeah, yeah there are unknown, known unknown. There are known. Unknown knowns, known unknowns, known unknowns. Yeah, known unknowns and unknown unknowns. Yeah, the great card game Uno. Yeah, yeah. If if that's complicated, what that means, what that basically means is just things that you don't know that you don't even know that you don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, at the time, everyone was like, "Fuck this guy! He's speaking like political nonsense. He's trying to he's trying to confuse us when the war in Iraq is going on," and he probably was. 
But yeah, at the same time, there's something kind of true about that. Donald yeah. Rumsfeld. I kind of like it. It's kind of elegant. That's a known unknown. There needs we to be know. more words for that, you know. But the the problem was, I think he was trying to use it in terms of weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, he was. They were like, are there are there weapons of mass destruction in Iraq? And he was like, well, that's a known unknown. He was like, we know that we don't know, but we might know. Well, the, yeah. the philosophy is know. sound. The uh, App- the, application, the application. Yeah, the application yeah. was faulty. It was yeah. deep, deeply bogus. Yeah, but, um, yeah. In in truth, deep down, I do think that the mark of like the young developing creative is that they focus a lot on process and then if you actually yeah. get to some of the true greats they would not be having this conversation they'd be like uh i mean i just, I just do, do it my craft <laughs> i just like yeah, live my right. life right i just live my life and well, do what i'm good at we're trying to figure out all these like voodoo methods of like how to trick right, yourself yeah. into being good at something and yep. uh, these guys are like uh i just i do my thing man i'm just good at it like mm-hmm. it's that simple yeah like, it's like that the stan lee quote from like uh when someone's like how do you like get over writer's block or whatever and he's like I I just this is my job. Right. I just do my job. I just do my job. <laughs> yeah, like right. I just write. Yeah, every day. I mean, that's that's my like job. The Stephen King, the Stephen King approach, where he's like he doesn't believe in writer's block. He's like right. that's that's not a thing. It's yeah. the same thing. Like, as Stan yeah, Lee. you just, just like, write bad stuff. You just, sometimes. You just right. write, and then when you have nothing else to write, you're done writing right. that day. Yeah, well, Steve, Stephen tomorrow. Stephen King wrote an entire novel when he was drunk, and he didn't even know that he'd written it. Now yeah. that is a creative process. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, right. That is, that's you know, right. yeah, he, got like a, he, he got, got a letter call from his, from his, <laughs> yeah, his publisher. Was like, hey, yeah, this will work. Like, he's like, we love this novel. We love this novel, Stephen. And he was like, "What novel?" They were like, "The novel you sent us." He was like, "I never sent you a novel." They're like, "Yes, you did. It's yeah. 500 pages long." Yep. And it's going. And he was like, "Nope, didn't write a novel. No idea." Yep. And I, th- I think it was around that point that he was like, maybe I should stop drinking. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I can't remember when I wrote a novel. Double drinking down. A, yeah, drinking a bottle of whiskey every day isn't going to help me. Oh, yeah. He, when, well, he was, when he was getting clean off of the hooch, he would uh, uh, his, he used to go and sneak shots of Listerine. Smart, you know, yeah, yeah. Or just, just feel really? something. Yeah. It, you know, bought, it has like the tiniest bit of alcohol in it. So I just bought, I just bought some Listerine. I didn't well, know that. You can, yeah. you can catch a, well, you can't catch a buzz on Woo! it, but you know, yeah, that's that's very it's the master the Paul Thomas Anderson. Speaking of, you know, mm-hmm. the scene where he just is compiling all of the random chemicals he finds in the kitchen to try and create a drink. Oh yeah, I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't that Sounds what, like what, a great you, way to die? You guys are familiar with the kids who are to roll dial, aren't you? Oh yeah, yes. I, do. I was yeah, just about to bring him up. What, what are you going to yeah. say about? Well, just because you just said assembling all the chemicals in the kitchen, like that's that's what George's marvelous medicine is all about. Oh, he makes an amazing medicine just by pouring absolutely everything you can find mm-hmm. into into a pot, and then he starts doling it out. But I can't remember what happens to people who drink it. I think it gives them like strange superpowers. Interesting. Well, yeah. Roald, Roald Dahl, he says the key to creative success is being warm. So yeah, he, well, you go. He likes to. He goes in his little shed. Yeah, he had dig, a shed. You see, he'd the, wrap himself in blankets and stuff. Yeah, the, yeah. the noble, the noble shed. I think there's there's a running theme. A lot of writers have sheds. There's a guy called Philip Pullman who wrote a great kids trilogy called His Style Materials, and he has mm. a shed. I think he goes to his shed at the bottom of the garden. Mm. I've got I've got a lot of time for that. I, well, now I is I, the key to success a shed, or is it being warm, or is it being warm inside of a shed? I think he's having a warm shed. Yeah, a warm yeah, shed. Yeah, you've got to have a warm shed. What if you're yeah. cold inside of a warm See, shed? I, I prefer to be a little bit cold on in no. that process. No time, know? no time well, for that. No, nope. got to be a little bit cold. That's why. But your old doll wrote the BFG. I was about to say, Pete, you're did you write the BFG? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Peter, you're only cold. <laughs> Peter, yeah. you're only you're only cold, man, because you've got your socks off. Roll Dahl was no, like Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. Like when I, mm-hmm. I, my most creative period in my life, 
Now, none of it was any good. Sure. But I made a lot. When I lived in my last apartment in Tuscaloosa, it was this like servant's quarters to this like giant house from like the turn of the century. It was, I had no heat and I used to just sit in my, my apartment was colder inside typically by about in the wintertime by about seven or eight degrees than it was outside. And actually that's not true. That's not true. I did make something good. We recorded Oh Susanna from our record in that apartment. And it was the, I think still the best sounding track on that. That record. is a very cold sounding song. Yeah. You know, it was freezing in there, like mm-hmm. genuinely cold. Yeah. It comes off in the record. Yeah. Tony. Anyways, point of that. So this is what I want to be getting to here, Mark, is you, you make movies and films and things. Why? Why do you do that? Why? Like, what, what got you? Like, was there a, a particular formative moment where, cause I know you started acting. Yeah. Uh, but when were you like, I'm going to start, I'm going to start making these, th- I'm going to be on the other end of the camera. I want to start figuring out, I want to tell stories in this, this way. <laughs> yeah. It was a freshman orientation. <laughs> uh, honestly, it was, it was sort of a big accident. It's funny. I was writing a bio um, for this new company. I'm si- I signed with this morning and, I was realizing, you know, when I was like six years old, all I ever wanted to do was uh, act and put on performances. And I would put on plays for my family and we would run around me and culture run around in high school and shoot videos. And that's the only other thing I, I really enjoyed ever. And so getting to college, I remember walking around and my mom was like, so like, what do you want to do? She's like, do you want to go into science or math? I was like, I don't really I don't like any of this stuff. Yeah. And so uh, I just kind of stumbled into um media media production and i literally remember day one of class our professor dr ramus she was like okay we're gonna do a scene who wants to direct the scene no one raised their hand i looked around i said i'll do it and that was the moment yeah and from uh i guess then i was like well crap i guess i'm a director now Mm -hmm. and uh i think it was all really a desire to act and i remember i didn't want to be a theater kid because i thought theater kids were kind of lame but i really wanted to act you hear that how yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear it, man. Listen, me and Coulter were around some of the crustiest, it's, nasty it's never too, people. It's never too late. <laughs> yeah. Theater classes are full of crusty people. If you look around, the one signifying thing of all theater kids is crust. It's crust mm. on their face. It's crust in their yeah. hair. There is a lot of crust. I would, it's I would crust. definitely. It's a sort. It's, it's very specific in school as well. It's at high school. It's a very specific teenage crust as well. Exactly. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the it's the crust that forms on the skin. It's like a sort of magma, you know, because you have mm-hmm. so many. You have volcanoes of puberty it's, going on all over your body. Just sort of, and it's a mix of you know, just sort of smell and stink right. and I a think, variety of fluids and sweats and and zits, and it just sort of mm-hmm. crusts. Mm-hmm. And it crusts really quickly. You know, you can shower and wash in the morning, but by two o'clock in the afternoon it's like you're crusty it's the, the most hormonal person. kids of school too right because yeah. like theater kids are just they're just the uh they're the horniest man yep <laughs> oh, we, oh oh yeah yeah is that true there was I a girl so, named man. her there was a girl in our class her name was elf uh she looked a bit like an elf and that girl was horny as hell i'll tell you what she, she wanted mark she wanted me mm-hmm. she wanted culture too she wouldn't admit it mm. but i could see it in her eyes <laughs> The point is, but, when I went to college, I tried to leave the cocoon of crust and become a butterfly. And I felt yeah. like that the only way to do that was maybe to move into the film world in some way. Yeah. And, and you know, look where it got us now. We're here and mm-hmm. uh, freaking Michael Lavoye is Hamilton. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> so clearly, we, we made yeah. the smart choice. I don't know, Marcus. It's funny. It's really telling you should tell it to me because ever since we first met, I always just felt there was just like a slightly crusty energy. 
Yeah, you know, floating around the fringes. Uh, it must, that's mm-hmm. probably we've, just that's probably just tried to, It's an inner crust. We've tried to yeah. wash yeah. it off as much <laughs> as we can. <laughs> right. No, that was for me. That was something I recognized. I was like, I like this guy. I couldn't quite figure out why. And then I was like, mm-hmm. maybe it's that slightly it's crusty mean, teenage inner, drama energy. Yeah, I mean, I've been I've yeah. been trying to outrun the crust my entire life. To be honest, <laughs> my all any anything that motivates me that drives me is is just I the have, crust in the rearview mirror. I don't try to get scrape off the Thornton Wilder's Our Town crust. I don't think you. Guy, yeah, I don't think you guys have this word, but in the UK we have this word to describe a subject at school that you do because it doesn't take much work. We call it a DOS, <laughs> D-O-S-S, a DOS subject. So if subject is a DOS, you're basically doing it because it doesn't require any effort and because you know it doesn't actually require any work. And so when when I was at school doing drama. Like it was actually a lesson you could tell. It wasn't just like an after schools club, but like doing drama was considered to be like one of the peak DOS subjects. Like I don't think it has to be, but yeah. it would attract people, people with a lot of crust, just as we've been talking about, who um a lot of teenage crusts would go there because they just knew they didn't have to do anything. So they, in my school, there was always this weird mix in drama. I was genuinely really interested in it, but there was always going to be this weird mix of people. There was like half the class were into it and interested. And then there was literally half, a, half the class who literally couldn't have cared less. Like, and like, I'm, and secretly kind of hated it they were just there because it required no homework right. do you know what i mean it basically meant i've got no study to do at home for this thing we had a lot of people that did that like freshman year and then they realized like oh we're probably gonna need to like so it like tailored down i was i always wondered why it tailored down so much but there because there was like four freshman theater classes and then like one class for each of the other uh maybe there's like three freshmen two sophomore and then a junior and like one junior and one senior class and i was like man like what like why isn't there more and then i realized like oh because a bunch of people are going to take this freshman year and realize oh wait like i don't want to be on like i have to be on stage and like talk in front of people and i don't want to do that i thought i was just going to do nothing yeah uh so we stuck with it for all four years and then never again yeah, that that was a really great great time in life. Um, and because Sharon Morgan wasn't teaching in Alabama, so that's you right. know, that's right. I, I'm I'm very grateful to have grown up in Birmingham and come from a family who, uh, trying to be anything beyond just a mom or a dad and having a good family was never something that was really valued. Um, it was never about becoming something successful, mm. and so it was I never felt any pressure. And so I think choosing a, a really some would say a dumb major or risky major skipping class to make videos in college and things was was never something that seemed dumb to me it always seemed like it it made sense um so then when i kind of happened to stumble into new york um you know i've also been always a bit insecure I've, i've never been one of those filmmakers who just like loves the craft and like you know when you hear these interviews sometimes they're like man it's just it's the thing that makes me feel alive like when i do this and and that can be true for me sometimes, but more than anything, I felt like I've just kind of fallen backwards into it over and over and over and over again. Yeah, and and sometimes I think there's a very modern preoccupation with like, you, you know, what you just said about I feel so alive when I do this thing. You know that that right. that's almost the only answer when you talk about the arts. Yeah, you know that, that's considered to, because there's this big cult of authenticity, isn't there, at the moment? Like, how authentic right. are you? Like, oh, I feel so authentic, or like, there's so much. Do you know the word I hate more than anything else? There's a word I hate more than any other word in the world. I hear a lot when it when it took. Uh, is intentionality. Have you heard that word a lot? Oh, oh yeah, dude. Oh, my God. It literally makes me want to eat my own face. Every time someone says it, they're like, oh, there's so much intentionality in his work. Well, there was so much intention. I was like, what?
what are you talking about i'm gonna spoon your eyes out yeah. you know and um but it's that but it all speaks towards this idea of like there's a sense of you know this popular idea of like purity of purpose do you know what i mean that you can only yeah. be practicing your art if you have this almost sort of like dogmatic or slightly sort of theological zeal for it do you know yeah. what i mean like, and anything and that, cannot it's like amoral to say like i just want to be successful at this like yeah yeah or, say that. Or, yeah, or yeah. even like there's or even like i like it a lot that's literally how i feel like i <laughs> yeah, i really yeah. enjoy it it's like the challenge of it is something that i think that i gravitate to and the adventure of it is something that yeah. i almost enjoy the most like i enjoy the problem solving aspect of yeah. filmmaking a lot but i feel like i have to hide that a little bit like there are other things that make me happier. Like I enjoy hanging out and watching uh, football with my friends. Like that's something I like throwing. I like going outside and running in the park. Like that's something that brings me a lot of joy. But film is like this work. It's like this craft for me. But I get a lot of satisfaction out of it. And it's something yeah, I, I completely empathize with that because I think that's entirely how I feel about writing. You know, like weirdly, increasingly it, at times, you know, thankfully I'm lucky enough to be paid to do it quite a lot of the time. <laughs> Not all the time, but you know, but but a lot of the time it just occasionally it just bubbles up and it will feel like a necessity sometimes. It's not like I must, I love it. It's just like, oh, I've yeah. got to do this thing. And I know it's a challenge and it can be, and I can find it really hard working, depressing and fucking annoying, you know, but yet somehow my, my satisfaction comes at the end of that process of finding it challenging and, yeah. and annoying, you know, and it's weird. I've definitely spoken to writers where I'm just they're like, how's it going with your project? And I'm like, oh, mate, fucking hate it right. and they're like why are you doing it they're like why are you doing it then you should be loving it and i'm like that doesn't fucking equate dude that no equate no. At all. Like, no not at all no. well it's i mean it's like that's why i love i love hearing people like stephen king or stan lee or any of these writers that are like willing to i mean stephen king's whole approach is that i mean i think he loves writing but like the thing he says like in that book on writing which is really great if y'all haven't if any listeners haven't read it i strongly recommend it's it's great uh, but the thing he says over and over and over and over again is he just like it's my job, yeah. right? It's work. Also, it's what I do. Nobody, you know? I, I maybe someone does, but I don't think anybody likes writing or like I don't like writing a song. I like have having one, having a complete yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I, yeah. Stephen King likes people likes likes having stories that he can sell to people. No one like is like man. You know what I like. I like the part that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, it's but like, it, it, it's, it's like a, a biathlete or whatever saying like, oh man, I just love training. Man, yeah. I just love yeah. doing wind sprints. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, no. You like standing on the podium yeah. with a medal around your neck. <laughs> or like competing. Yeah. Like, you know, the challenge of competing is acceptable. But, it, but it's like, a, there is a slightly, it got, reaches, I think, to, like there's a slightly broader thing at play. Like it's definitely something I think that exists everywhere. It's an increasingly, yeah. Um, wide belief system that you know what you do has to be like your true purpose like yeah. I must follow my destiny you know and, I, and actually I can engage with that at times there's aspects of these things which I think have a truth to them they just can't be totalizing do you know what I mean if you don't have that mindset as a as that this must be the totality of things you're going to be fucked because you're leading yourself up for a massive fall yeah. and um, mm-hmm. you know and, and, and I think when you become really passionate about a project you can become very totalized by it but that's a different thing from mm-hmm. thinking that you have to be like that all the way and yeah. I've I'm, I'm very struck being in the states and so like getting back to our one of our normal subject matters which is you know our sort of transatlantic differences or cultural differences where we share so many things is i'm very struck in america about the idea of the pursuit of happiness do you know what i mean that mm-hmm. like ha- happiness is the thing that must be pursued at all costs yeah and like and i understand i mean it's a nice ideal it's one of those utopian ideas where instinctively you kind of go yeah because happiness is great of course, I got to pursue happiness at all costs. That's the thing right. that I must have all the time. Yeah, but like it kind of promotes this idea that 
You know what I mean? It promotes this rather strange but idea like that some... happy, the happiness is the only thing you must have and anything else is bad. But, you know, but happiness is like any any philosopher worth their salt will tell you is a byproduct of other things. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, it's like it's you the can be happy you know? doing your work. Yeah. But, like, that's not going to going to necessarily make you happy like right. i think that's the thing it's like the, the all of this like writing or anything creative uh or really any job it's like if i get to this level then i will be happy it's like no you just either are happy doing what you're doing or you aren't nothing you're not gonna like get somewhere and then that's going to yeah. just like all of a sudden make you happy when you weren't happy before well, like, i i almost like immediately distrust like you know when i quit my job last year like it, there, you get you get a lot of different kinds of advice when you're going to people, and I, I like mm -hmm. to seek advice. Like I'm big on that, and like um, I, 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 I've I've made this like kind of delineation in like how seriously I will accept your or how seriously I will I will yeah accept your advice um, when I hear the phrase like oh if you're not happy then don't do it just do whatever just right. do whatever makes you happy and I'm just like man that. Is bad advice. Yeah. It's bad advice. It's a bad way to live your life. Because there's yeah. a lot of yeah. things that you need to be doing that are good to do. Mm -hmm. Not even like a just like, you know, furrowed brow like World War II vet where like the life is hard and you got to – like there's good things that you need to be doing right. that don't make you happy, that are mm -hmm. not fun and that are hard. Uh, like I mean, you know, with Marcus, like we've – We've been a part of like a few of your productions of things mm -hmm. and like a large, there's definitely like a lot of fun involved, yeah. but a large chunk of these things are like, you know, when I've scored stuff for you is being in the studio till four five, six in the morning. Yeah. And that's not fun. That doesn't it's, make me happy. It's mostly mostly painful. You know, it's yeah. There's stress and there's pain, but right. that's good. It's but, good work to but do. But it's good to find your. I guess I'd, the word calling is also thrown around a lot. But sometimes mm -hmm. you have something you just need to do, work that needs to be done, yeah. something that you've been given the ability, the affinity, and the opportunity to do something, and it needs to be done, whether or not you love it in the moment. You know, and, mm -hmm. and you mentioned World War Two, but I was like, man, I was just thinking about Douglas MacArthur randomly. I was like, do you think that guy liked his job? <laughs> Uh, do you think he was like pumped to be doing that? I'm just yeah. thinking about all these people in human history who have had work that needed to be done. And thank God they did it. But they, they, it wasn't like, man, this isn't something I'm passionate about. This is like, this is the work that I need to be doing. Yeah. Sometimes I, I view film like that. I'm like, I'm confident this is the work I need to be doing. And there's satisfaction in some of the victories, but mm -hmm. it is a, it is a grind. And I find, I find joy in that grind though. I mean, I think it's part of being a human is yeah. work is something that's very good for you. It's not good. Um, to not be challenged it's not yeah. good to not be working you know too much leisure it'll that's the thing that'll kill you faster yeah. than anything well yeah yep <laughs> i'm with that yeah. yeah i mean not having work to do is terrible and like but that's that's my point of like when when you know you get that like you know very uh you know 2018 piece of advice of like i'll just like live your truth do what makes you happy yeah. like i feel like that's why i'm so immediately distrusting of that because like if you don't get into some work that's just hard and challenging and sometimes just not fun, then like you don't ever get to that point, uh, you know, the point that you just made of like, you get a lot of satisfaction and joy out of doing some of this stuff that isn't fun. doesn't feel yeah. good, stressful and it's hard and you don't right. know how it's going to turn out. And that doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But you can yeah, kind yeah. of, I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it's a bit more it. like, let's have a, uh, we might, maybe we should launch a lawsuit to change that aspect. Is it in the constitution, that, that, that phrase? Life, the liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, like maybe it should be the pursuit, I, I would probably vote for the pursuit of goodness, of the good, or maybe of yeah. kindness. That would probably, I feel, maybe be a better uh, 
something that's a little bit better to be to be pursuing as as one's as one's goal i'd i'd rather be more totalized by kindness i think maybe than than happiness in that respect yeah i mean if, it's weird the though, french it? say you, you life can... liberty and property right yeah yeah i mean i it's weird it's like to have such a conversation part of me can make me think like you feel a bit like you're pulling peanuts out of poo you know to a degree like you feel like you're being a party pooper mm-hmm. you know by um by saying such a thing like oh he's so fucking you're negative. leaving the peanuts in the poo makes the party more fun it does yeah i yeah. think so yeah i definitely want to go to a peanut shit party you know that's the party i want to attend you know yeah. get a couple of um, snacks in there yeah a little couple of snacks with it with once with one's poop um as any kid i think would agree yeah um but um or dog um but i it, it but it's more about it's not that i don't want to be happy when i say that do you know what i mean i don't think anyone or any of you guys would say that either of course everyone would like to to be happy but it's more about like how do you like what is the if that's the end result what's the way to get there do you know what i mean but right. whereas uh, yeah and it's i really i'm really taken with that idea that happiness is the byproduct do you know what i mean it's like but also at the same time i'm quite sympathetic if something is unbearably difficult and you're having a permanently shit time do you mm-hmm. know what i mean and your sense of reward from that is minimal then don't do it choose something else right. do you know what i mean yeah. like, that's yeah, also okay it's <laughs> not a prescription for you have to for say, suffering yeah to, yeah, to yeah. like do something it's more of a that can't be the only motivator right I yeah, it's a, it's it a very, it's an old fashioned, more religious idea, isn't it? Maybe they're hedging towards a Catholic idea of Christianity, certainly, isn't it? The idea of sort of sufferance being the route to redemption. You know, um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if I I'd buy into that totally. Yeah, I did I did the Camino walk in Spain, like a walking liberal cliche that I am, and um, you know, like that's something that pe- people used to do that walk on their knees, you know, because they're right. like, I have to walk 800 kilometers on my knees. Yeah, suffering for <laughs> the sake of suffering is a strange thing to do, but suffering in the pursuit of something good like i think what makes what makes people happier what's what's fun is when you start to develop a mastery over your craft or like when you start to feel yeah, like hey yeah. i'm getting i'm getting yes. good at this you start to enjoy it but what happens is i think when you're in your 20s you're unwilling to go through some of those like deep insecurities and those painful years of when you're developing it and you sort of want the benefit of being good at something but it's it's you have to give yourself uh, a lot more grace and forgiveness so to speak when you're when you're developing your craft because it's not going to be that fun for you because you're not going to be good at it so i think for me i've i've one thing i have been good at is allowing myself to be really shitty at at things i'm Mm -hmm. like you know i i'm not great at this but i'm pretty sure i'm a lot better at this than i was last year and that's cool and next year i'm going to be a lot better at this as well and so i'm not so hard on myself and so that's like um um, it's a skill of mine it's the great Samuel Beckett phrase that at the end of one of his novels, he says, uh, fail again, fail better, which I think is pretty much the right. yeah. best, pres- one of the finest prescriptions for existence right. that there is, you know, fail again, fail quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'm willing, you know? Oh yeah, mm. that's that. I, I seem to just offer that up, and then it seemed to just kill the conversation. Stone, so, so <laughs> no, we were all so stone dead. Yeah, we were all just it was uh, like, absorbing it. It was it was, like, it was too deep. So, I, was, I was a bit I was a bit concerned that I'd like tapped into something just so profoundly anti-American <laughs> that it just like wait it, what it, it, we it don't fail. You we don't win. fail. I don't win. Fail. Win. 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 You're gonna be. I'm so tired of winning. <laughs> Al, did you ever hear the uh, the rules of physical fitness from Peter and Coulter? Maybe this no. is just a Peter thing. I'm not sure. No, but, I don't uh, even know what they are. I'm ready to hear it. The rules of uh, physical fitness? Mm-hmm. First rule of working out? Oh, yeah. Is 
I'm worried I'm not going to say the same thing you're thinking. I'm curious to see if you remember it. I mean, I hate like you got to hate yourself. You got to go in there and just be like, this sucks, and I'm going to destroy my, myself. That's right. First rule of working out is working out sucks. It's not yeah. fun. It's mm-hmm. not fun. It's not fun. But why do you do it? Get jacked. Get sexy. That's right. You know, get an eight pack. That's what it's all about. That's right. So there's a lot of things in life you say, this is not fun. I am not mm-hmm. enjoying it. But there's life something about it. In the pursuit of an eight pack. That's right. But after after you work out, there's also a step by step process that I had to learn as well, mm-hmm. which is uh, uh, food, shower, coffee. Oh yeah, that's a fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got a food, shower, coffee. Never you'll, you'll yeah. get messed up if you do in not. in that order. How? Yep. Yeah, I am, and my health is suffering for this. I hate gyms so yeah. much. Well, you're already hitting that, this first step perfectly. That's yeah, right. That's good. Go. That's the first rule. I, I hate them with such a profound passion that when I you have the I, I can be like I need yeah, I do. need to I need to do this because I know that I'm not in good nick so I will take myself to a gym and every time my will to do anything disappears within a minute because I hate it so much mm. and then I'm always like well it's clearly the answer to this is just that I probably should be doing whatever I need to be doing here outside away from a gym because I'd probably enjoy it more but then I do it outside and then I'm like well I think maybe I just hate doing physical exercise Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just telling you, you've got step one down. <laughs> you know, Mark Maron's step one is to look at himself and yep. go, "Oh, I hate this. I hate this. What did I do?" <laughs> then buy shoes. Yeah, yeah. Then buy shoes. Yeah, that's, I definitely, I definitely need, step. I definitely need to get rid of my moobs. You know, that's something for the year ahead. Mm-hmm. I think the time has come. There needs to be moob reduction. I don't want to have to get surgery. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I've been making I've been making a lot of morning sacrifices on that theme, and it doesn't seem to have been working. A lot of squirrels have died. Yeah, for the uh, allegedly for, covering for, your, to get that for, COA in. Oh yeah, allegedly, yeah. allegedly, no animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. But, um, <laughs> wink, 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 wink. Yeah, but it hasn't been working. You know, my 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 my, my morning flower savagery hasn't been reducing the size of my moobs. So I probably might actually have to do something practical about it. Uh, yeah, that might work. What was that? I guess like when Raccoons? it comes to the when it uh, comes to the male moob, I think the question is probably which animal is best aligned with it. You know, mm. what's the what's the spirit animal of the moob, I guess is what I'm asking. Sloth? The sloth, mm. yes, the sloth. <laughs> a pig. I would think like a mole. A mole? Mm. Yeah. Just a little you get a, a little big eyeless little, little eyeless mole. Underground creature. I think like a, a little, baby a, Labrador retriever. Like a yeah. baby Labrador tucked into your chest. Or a, or a, like a bulldog. Okay. Mm. But those things are all too flaps. cute. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, you got to be willing huh. to put in the work. <laughs> Kill the cuteness. Yeah. What's? Just, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if we can talk about boobs on the show, but what is the other word for boobs that involves puppies? Sweater puppies. Wow. Sweater puppies. Sweater puppies. Yeah. Wow. I've nice never heard that. Marcus. Sweater puppets. <laughs> wow. I've never heard Did that. Sweater That's puppets. Puppies. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See there. Well, if we, I think we need to be sweater puppets. Sounds way, way yeah, worse because that's creepy. like sweater puppets intends that you're gonna like put your hands yeah. and squeeze to yeah. make them talk. Wow, guys, we're really, we're really going, we're really going there, aren't there? I think, at risk, at a, I think we should need to re- to just to reach towards a balance at this level of humor. If you've, if we've introduced an analogy for for mammaries being called sweat, I just want to let you know that a, a very good friend of mine who was a woman just the other day referred to. Um, Did you just the, I have, the man referred friends. to? Yeah. <laughs> referred yeah. to the man's junk as the kabang wow that's okay. fair i like yeah, that. that's fair. solid yeah she was like you know, she literally referred to yeah she was like 
his kabang, I think it was what she said. And I was like, we, my friend Matthew were like, his what? And then, <laughs> then she was like, his kabang. I was like, his kabang? That's a bit more like, I like that. It's a yeah, bit like yeah. more powerful and noble. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's a noble. It's, it sounds it's onomatopoeic, isn't it? Kind of says, yeah. It does, what it does what it says. Kabang. <laughs> it says what it does. I mean. There you go. Oh, Lord have mercy. Where that's, do we, where do we a, go that's, from here? There's a, that's a show title, I, isn't it? I, I, there was one. Mm-hmm. His Kabang. Or are we allowed to talk about boobs on this show? Yeah. That's a pretty good yeah. title. I don't know if we are. I mean, speaking of boobs, I <laughs> I can, I, can uh, I want to say one last thing in yeah. regards to them. It ties into a larger theory that I have called the uh, red Gatorade theory. Okay. Do you know okay. my, do you know my yeah. red Gatorade theory? Is this a conspiracy theory? Is this like uh, no? This is, is this, this is called is, pure, it, is this called pure wisdom? Now. Is it to do with the Second Amendment? <laughs> and listen, this this will probably not make the show, but I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna put it out there anyway. So. Well, this isn't going out at all. So yeah, right, right. <laughs> this this is this is one of those buried tape moments. How yeah. people are gonna unearth this <laughs> hundred years from now and be like, that guy was incredibly wise. Yeah, in order um, to make the thumbs up, got to drink red. That's Gatorade. right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you know, boobs are a part of the red Gatorade theory. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, here's here's what it says: is the red Gatorade theory like the red pill theory but for just like similar no it's not no so this is red gatorade theory and this applies to many things Mm -hmm. so when you're when you're young red gatorade is is what it's all about it's that fruit punch gatorade it's the first thing you get from the convenience store it's the first gatorade you try and you think this is awesome and you transition into your like late teens early 20s you know what red gatorade is lame Red, red gatorade sucks it's all about the like frost it's all about the purple it's about the unique flavors the crazy flavors but as you mature and you grow in wisdom in your late 20s and your 30s, 40s, you start to realize, you know what? Red Gatorade is actually delicious. Mm. There's actually just something about the classics. Red Gatorade, a ham sandwich, boobs, things like that that you sleep on for <laughs> years and you forget about. And you think, oh, these things are not important. And then as you come back around, you say, you know what? Red Gatorade, dude. So there are so many ways that applies to, to many things yep. in life. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. what, are the, what are the red Gatorades in your Wait, life? wait, how, do red Gatorade, how does that apply to boobs? Because I think there's a really hip thought. Uh, I think when, when I moved to Brooklyn, I think we all got into this idea of like, you know what? Boobs are not that cool. They're just not that cool. They're not important. It's about it's about all these other things, but people just forgot about boobs. They slept on boobs for a long time. So this is what happened years later. Like you know what, boobs are actually kind of awesome. Like let's let's be honest with ourselves here. I don't I don't know that I ever moved out of like high school. Like you know, I'm just go spend some time. Go spend some time in Brooklyn and Bushwick. There's a well, pervading thought that may be. Yeah, that could be true. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I could, I could see that. Mm. This is a window into the male psyche, the like of which the podcasting world has never experienced. Yeah, True. that's exactly right. <laughs> Except for on seventy-five percent of other podcasts, but not like us. No, definitely not like mm-hmm. us. At Red Gator. Yeah, I think that they're. I'm trying to think about what would would like a good example of a Red Gatorade theory would be. So, like coffee, for example, staying home on a Friday night. Staying home on a Friday night. That classic. is classic Red Gatorade theory. Yeah. Video games. Video games. Mm-hmm. You yep. just you start to just you start to feel more confident and comfortable with the things that you fast know, food. Fast food. McDonald's yep. is a perfect example of Red Gatorade yep. theory. People, oh, yeah. you love McDonald's early in life, then you start hating it for years. You start yep. railing on McDonald's. McDonald's is fantastic. McDonald's is a great establishment. <laughs> it feeds billions of people. I eat it twice a week, and I'm in. Yep. I'm a picture of hell. True. I, know I think that's McDonald's right. is absolutely great. People sleep on it yeah. all the time. True. Mm-hmm. So even further, it goes so far as to denigrate it. You mm-hmm. know, like Wrangler jeans. 
Yep. I don't know if I can get behind you. Yeah, on you're right. Yeah, you're right. You're White right. balances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you're exactly right. <laughs> Maybe that's a bad example, but you get the idea. Just think yeah. about it, Colter. You will. Uh, you'll start to realize. Uh, I think the true same is true for like musical artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, true. Creed. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, Creed gets better with it. It's a, it's a fine red Gatorade, a mm-hmm. vintage, yeah. aged Gatorade. That's exactly right. How old is there? Do they have red Gatorade? And uh, what, what's that going to get? What would be your red Gatorade example for the UK? Uh, I don't know. We don't. I think Gatorade might exist in the UK, but it's no. It's it doesn't have the sort of profound symbolic qualities. I mean, is there any like just sugary it, sports yeah. drinks that's just like, you know, that that the footballers? Yeah, uh... Or do they do something Beer. liberal like drink water? Well, you, well, you know, I'm, but I'm, su- I'm such, I'm such a, I'm such a, a crusty artistic type that I'm, I'm, I fear that maybe I'm not the best person to ask. I did play sports in school, but only up to a point. You know what I mean? Because I was too busy to run back to like, mm. kind of chip off some crust on the theatre yeah, floor and watch, you know, Twin but, Peaks. Uh, and watch Twin Peaks and like <laughs> yeah. listen to and listen to Nick Drake and have a cry yeah. whilst I wrote down some sad thoughts in a moleskin textbook. But mm-hmm. um, yep. You know, so I'm not sure. I mean, I'm instinct. I'm instinctively thinking of like Red Bull, but that definitely wasn't around when I was. Mm-hmm. You know, that yeah, was a later. No. So, and that's not the game. Yes, yes, of course. What am I talking about? What am I talking about? British listeners would be going, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Like, it, uh, Lucasade is our equivalent. Ah, ah, uh, like the Gatorade. Obviously, the aid, the ADE, is the right. prefix Wait a minute. that is required. Is it Lucas? Wait a minute, wait a minute. No, hang on. It's L-U-C-O-Z-O-Z, I should say, A-D-E. Okay, okay. So let's say there's Lucas Automotive, which I think is responsible for the infamously bad British wiring. They also made uh, refrigerators. Yeah. The thing is, LucasAid, some people would say like an old wives' tale, like a 20, late 20th century old wives' tale, that you would drink LucasAid when you're not feeling well, when you have like a stomach upset because it has loads of glucose and like mm-hmm. good sugars in it. So, you know, you might be having a, you have a stomach virus, mm-hmm. you know, and your mum might be like, I'm going to make you some chicken soup. But like someone else be like, might be like, mate, just drink some fucking LucasAid, bruv, you know? <laughs> bruv. Um, to, to, sort you, to sort you right out. You know what? I think parents are a red Gatorade. Yeah. Theory. Yeah, I heard that. Early on, you're like, my parents know a lot of things. And then you're later like my parents my parents know nothing. When you move out of the house, you're in college, you move to a different city. As you get older, you're like, you know what? My parents are just like Red Gatorade. They're mm-hmm. delicious. They're wise. Parents are just like booze, man. That's right. They're they're good. <laughs> I forgot about them. Yeah. Like I forgot how cool they really were. Yeah, I'm not sure if this theory holds up over We'll see. We'll keep testing Colter, it. We'll keep testing it. Trust me on this one. All right. <laughs> maybe this theory. Maybe I'll read. Maybe this theory itself is a red Gatorade. In that I, I really liked it about five minutes ago, and now I'm not so sure. Oh, and then no, maybe listen. in another ten minutes it'll just, come back around. It's just, just, I just got a pick of a Lucasade. Lucasade. There you are. Some Lucasade. Just send you some Lucasade there. There's nothing on your phone oh. there. Oh, that's nice. That looks great. Design. It's a great design, isn't it? Like a really, really. Like mid '80s design, sort of really a horrific orange. It looks and red. like it looks like motor oil. Yeah, it's like yeah, it does it look like motor oil, doesn't it? It's a bit like I'm like gonna pour that, as in like I've run out of petrol in my car, but I'm just gonna pour some Lucasade in instead, and that will get me home. That's where going. It's something like what is the most offensive collection of colors we could think of to sell for our energy drink? Orange, deep red, bright yellow, all yes. at once. There the whole are. spectrum of red. Yeah, yeah the whole, the whole spectrum yellow. of like un- uncomfortably nasty warm. Well, uh, I think we're about oh, we wrapping it. up. We made it there, huh? Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, See, Bob, give the info. Give the info. Well, Marcus, thank you for, for joining us. Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, that I want to plug? Yeah, you know, like any, anything coming up. Films? Well, I mean, you just signed. You just, yeah, signed, just, with just signed with this company, Voyager Creative, out in Brooklyn. So yeah, right. uh, check them out. Have a press Congrats, release. man. Thanks, man. Mm-hmm. A press release coming out in the next couple of weeks. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, yeah, I mean, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Shoot, yeah. Thanks for being here, dude. Well, um, we have been the Fire Escape. We uh, are at Fire Escape Pod on Twitter and Instagram. FireEscapePod at gmail.com if you want to send us some questions comments and concerns if you want to help us figure out whether or not this red gatorade theory thing is real or not uh and all that all that good stuff uh if if the red gatorade theory is in itself subject to the red gatorade theory Mm, um it's a really deep question i am at culture levi on the twitters and the instagrams I am buttermilk underscore Pete on the Instagram. Marcusy. I am Marcus underscore Tortorici or Tortorici. Not or Tortori. That's right. Yep. And how is unfindable? I missed it. Go follow Whale's Window on Twitter. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Do that. Man, well, we did it. We did it. We'll see you again. And next I see week, by this everybody. time, this time next week, I mean, you'll hear. This time next week, I'm going to be in the Birmingham. So, any Birmingham listeners, look out for me. I'll be there, wandering the streets, looking lost. <laughs> yes, excellent. Eating some, uh, well, not magnolia, but Green Acres. Yeah, I'll be down the Green Acres, probably eating about 50 wings on a daily basis, or maybe out at Sars eating the pulled pork, maybe every evening. So, probably lunch at Green Acres, Sars every evening, and I will you have attempt to do a to lot be, of swimming with. The I judge. was about to say, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be swimming with the judge. Uh, or hanging out with him in the naked sauna, probably, you know, mm. being judged in some respects uh, on an afternoon, most likely. So find me in those places, Birmingham listeners. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. All Thanks, right, everybody. Bye. Bye. What's wrong with the beer we got? I mean, the beer we got drank pretty good, don't it? The days are getting shorter, and you can feel it in the air. Yes, it's that time of year. Pumpkin is finally back at Dunkin'. It's the cozy you've been craving all summer long, now in your cup at Dunkin'. Pick up all of your pumpkin favorites, like the signature pumpkin spice iced latte, or a pumpkin iced coffee, and bakery items like pumpkin donuts and muffins. Sip into something comfortable to celebrate the start of cozy season. Use the Dunkin' app for contactless ordering. America runs on Dunkin'. The days are getting shorter, and you can feel it in the air. Yes, it's that time of year. Pumpkin is finally back at Dunkin'. It's the cozy you've been craving all summer long, now in your cup at Dunkin'. Pick up all of your pumpkin favorites, like the signature pumpkin spice iced latte, or a pumpkin iced coffee, and bakery items like pumpkin donuts and muffins. Sip into something comfortable to celebrate the start of cozy season. Use the Dunkin' app for contactless ordering. America runs on Dunkin'.